We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're finishing off Paul's defense for himself. And if this is your first time here, we're jumping in midstream, almost to the end. Paul's about finished where he has been addressing the situation with these, quote, super apostles in Corinth. These people that were being shown or presented as being the professionals and Paul as the amateur. And for the last few weeks, Paul has just been blasting them directly. And he's going to tell them to their face is what he's told us in the previous chapter. Paul, we can tell, is very tired. He does not like talking about himself. He does not like what he calls boasting about himself or telling these things that he's been saying. He has shared all of his trials and tribulations and scourgings and um, uh, betrayals. Persecutions is the word I was struggling to get. All these things that he's been going through. And then in the last portion of this chapter, he was talking about his personal spiritual battle that he had that the Lord allowed to keep him humble because he's a human being. And we've been seeing all this in the backdrop of the Corinthians looking at him, judging him, and betraying him to a point and saying that he was the amateur to the professionals. And so with that being said, let's go into prayer and ask the Lord to lead us, and we'll read verses 11 to 13. Father, we do thank you, and we pray that you would use this portion of Scripture, use these lives of the first century and the issues you dealt with in the church of Corinth, and apply them to us here in the 21st century. We pray that we would, you would empower the reading and teaching of your word through the Holy Spirit, and that you would write these words on the tablets of our heart as we grow in you together. In Jesus' name, amen. So picking right off where we left off in verse 11 through 13, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. And so again, he's calling out those most eminent apostles. He says that tongue-in-cheek, it means super great apostles. He's saying, I'm not behind any of them. He's telling them, didn't I perform all these miracles? Didn't the Lord use me for all these areas? And he says, the only thing that I didn't have that they had is you paid them and I refuse it. And then he sarcastically says, forgive me this wrong. But in this portion of scripture, as we're studying it, I was reminded of kids, more specifically my kids. They're constantly messy, noisy, demanding, forgetful. They get sick at the most inconvenient times. You know, you got to get to work early the next day. They're throwing up all over the place. You're just trying to sleep, and then you're arguing with your spouse whose turn it is to clean it up. They're expensive. They're backbiters. They're disobedient. I mean, they get old enough, and even though you're sacrificing portions of your life and trying to provide for them and pay for them and protect them, they're screaming at you in the hallway that they hate you and that you're the worst thing in the planet. Just... Just That doesn't happen in any of your guys' houses, just mine. <laughs> and you do all these things, and that's how I'm reminded of with the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church are spiritually immature, like children. And the Bible talks about our spiritual maturity in the same way. Paul writes in the book of Hebrews, yes, I said it, theologians. So a few of you guys are going to get upset with me and come argue with me afterwards. Well, I'm right and you're wrong. 
So Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to, to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In its context, the writer of the book of Hebrews, which is most likely Paul, he is correcting them to say you are old enough in the faith that you should be spiritual teachers and able to discern the word of God, but you're not. Our application is the illustration that you can be children in Christ. You can be immature in Christ. And when kids act the way that we just explained, they're showing their own immaturity. The Corinthians, like our teenagers, thought they were better than they were. They thought they were more spiritually mature than they actually were. They were spiritually immature. And this is the same people to which Paul had commended in First and Second Corinthians about how spiritual they were. They were speaking in tongues. They were prophesying. They were each teaching. They were all uh, speaking and doing spiritual things. And yet we see in other areas they're so immature. They don't have any shame. I mean, I want you to think for a minute. Paul, the apostle, planted their church. He's their pastor. And he's not good enough for them. Paul, the apostle, to whom God spoke and said, this is my messenger to the Gentiles and all the world. This is the man I want to use, performing miracles by God's grace and the Holy Spirit alone. The Corinthians are like, yeah, he was a good start, but he's not that good. I mean, to us here, reading the New Testament, reading the Bible, knowing the epistles that the Lord used to write, watching his life over the last few chapters, How is it possible that this guy is not good enough? The question is, what is good enough? You see, in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah would talk about the nation of Israel and say, they have no shame. The Corinthians, they don't have any shame. They don't feel bad about this. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15, the prophet is speaking to Israel. He says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Well, the Corinthians are just the same, called by God, children of God, but they have no shame. Paul even has to say, you should be commending me. He doesn't like saying these things. He hates taking attention to himself. They should be pointing to him as an example. Instead, they're looking at him like, wow. He's not that good. we got professionals now. Oh, really? Really? I can't uh, express how great my mom and my grandparents were raising me, and yet I was the most disrespectful, arrogant teenager that you could possibly have. And I took it for granted. And now that I'm a parent, I keep looking back, and and I kind of am ashamed at how badly I treated them. And we can be like that as a church. You see, the church is not a business. The church is a family. And the application here is that the Corinthians wanted to pay Paul because they wanted to be customers. 
They wanted to be in control. They wanted Paul to be the chef or the business owner and that they would pay him so that they could judge the service. You know, like when you go to a new restaurant, you take a picture of your food. Oh, this was pretty good, but it was a little light on the salt. The service was a little slow. You know, it's kind of expensive. Four out of five stars. And some of us, we approach church the same way, like a connoisseur. What is in it for me? And will I bless them with my presence? What am I getting out of it? So Paul is saying to them, to your shame, I will never take a penny from you. I will never take a penny from you for your own benefit. And that's how he's going to to speak here now in verses 14 through 18 when he says, Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I did not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for their children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. But that as it may, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? And here we have Paul sharing his heart. Paul founded the church there in Acts chapter 18. He stayed with them a year and a half. He went to go off and plant other churches. He had come back. Remember, that second visit was very painful. He had to correct a lot of things. And then he wrote First and Second Corinthians. He says he's on his way again, Second Corinthians. He told him he wrote a tough letter. I personally think it's First Corinthians. Others commentators think it's a different letter that's lost. Nevertheless, There's a lot of friction. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of tension between Paul and the Corinthians over many things. And all this, he says, for I do not seek yours but you. He didn't come here for himself. It had nothing to do with it. How is it that with our children we can be disrespected, yelled at, not listened to, they can be rebellious, they can be demanding, all those things that we said, and yet we keep coming back over and over and over again. Remember a couple of weeks ago we used that analogy? Your teenage daughter jumping on the back of that motorcycle of a fugitive, a convicted felon at 2 a.m. Didn't we all get a little riled up? But why, why do we allow that? Well, whatever. She's her own person. She can do whatever she wants. Never. Never because we care. Because of love. You see, many people treat church like a business. They are hirelings, whether they're servants or they're being served. Like I said, many people come to the church and they say, well, how how entertaining is it? Does it bless me? Do I feel better afterwards? Does it have the correct uh, functions? Does it have good children's ministry? How's the videos? How's the live stream? What's the campus, the facilities like? And I asked you earlier, what's enough? Paul the Apostle was not enough for the Corinthians. Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. Paul the Apostle was not good enough for the Corinthians. So what is good enough? What does your pastor have to be like? What does the church have to be like? You see, when you come to church as a consumer, 
acting as if we were going to bless others with our presence and that they owe you, not the other way around. You're not coming with the servant's heart. You're not coming. You're coming as a babe, a child in Christ. Now, the same thing is true. Don't think you're the only ones that are going to get lectured this morning. Of leaders, pastors, servants, deacons, elders, to serve others, to pour yourself out. See, Paul is like his master, Jesus. And Jesus taught us in John chapter 10, we've used this reference before, it's so important, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Why is Paul putting up with these things? Because he is a loving parent. Paul is putting up with all these gripes and complaints and friction and going out of his way to make these things happen because he is not a hireling. He is a shepherd. You should be looking for shepherds, and shepherds need to act like shepherds. There are too many in the church today who call themselves leaders, but if things go wrong, they eject. They're just going to go get a raise. They're going to go to another church. They're going to just leave the problems for somebody else, fulfill their calling, being led by the Lord to go on to quote bigger and better things, not the shepherd. What did Paul say here? The more abundantly I love, the less I am loved. And then he says, nevertheless. He does not care about those things because these are his children in the faith. You see, this is not a theological exercise for him. He is not writing a thesis statement. He grew up with these people for a year and a half. He knows their names. He knows their problems. He knows their faults. He knows how God's done in their lives. He knows the great uh, changes in their lives and people being born again and a movement of the Holy Spirit. He knows them by name. He knows their kids. He knows all those things. These are his family members. You see, let's use business as an illustration. A hireling, like we just said. Well, when a business goes through a tough time, goes through some trouble, you got to cut hours, maybe lower pay. If somebody can get another job for another dollar, they are gone. And this is America. God bless them if you can do it. And the middle management, maybe the bonuses disappear. Maybe things are getting a little rough. Same thing. I've got another opportunity. They're out. Well, let's not let owners and board members off the hook either. Things can be going and tough. People could be leaving. A buyer comes in to swallow up that company, and, and there they go. Sell it off to the next thing. And I'm not saying that is bad or good. It's merely an illustration. The church is not to be this way any more than your family is to be that way. We don't run from family problems. And that's how Paul sees the Corinthians. These are his children in the faith. He loves them, and he will not change them or disappear or go somewhere else just based on the fact that they're yelling, I hate you in the hallway, after all the things that he's done for them. Because he's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for God. He says here, the more abundantly I love, the less I am loved. You may be a servant here, a disciple. You may be a teacher, pastor. 
We don't do it for love and respect. We don't do it to be lifted up or exalted. We do it because we are servants of Christ. You are Christ's sheep. We don't own you. You can go wherever you want to go. You can go to any church you want to go to. And if you continue to come to church as if you're going to a restaurant and you're the connoisseur letting them know who's the best one, you will never be served the way that you should be served. Same thing with those that are in leadership. If we always look at people as if they're the client that needs to be pleased at all times, we will never be a good father in the faith. We will never be good to be able to bring godly discipline if we're led by that. But we must be motivated by love. Guzik writes about this servanthood uh, in his commentary. He says, we can give and do it in any number of ways, but do we resent it when we give or serve? A good way to measure this is to see our reaction when our service is unappreciated. Do we resent it? Paul's service was unappreciated by the Corinthian Christians, yet he did not resent it. Instead, he would gladly spend and be spent for your souls, is a quote. Ellie Romaine, I tried to find this quote directly, so if I mess it up, I forgive it, but Romaine was the assistant pastor for Chuck for decades. He says, you never know if you're a servant until they treat you like one. See, when we come to church, we should be pouring ourselves out for others. We should be looking for others and blessing others. But in a real family, what do we see? You see, in a real family, the kids are just like we talked about. Make a mess everywhere, talk back to you. You got to discipline them every once in a while. You're embarrassed when your friends come over and see your house. You're like, quick, clean it all up. But that's what church is like. A bunch of messy people, a bunch of messy, rebellious children. And in every good church, there should be spiritually immature, there should be spiritually maturing, and there should be spiritually mature individuals, and that mix is healthy. See, what fake illustration of church do you have in your your mind of what church is, quote, supposed to be like? And you can apply that to family. What's your family supposed to be like? See, we have a illustration in our mind of what we think family is like, and then you start looking around and be like, wait a minute, no family is like that. It's not real. Paul approaches the Corinthians like family, and unfortunately the Corinthians were not approaching Paul that way. But as any good loving father, Paul is not going to let them get away with it. See, in my house, one of my favorite times, I'll just pick a random one. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. And so we are all sitting together there at the table. It's one of my favorite times where we're all there and we're all happy and everyone's provided for and we're just praising God, giving thanks for all the things that have gone on. But that image is spoiled if we just go back 15 minutes when my wife and I are yelling at our kids to put their toys away, to clean up the kitchen, to get out of the kitchen, to stop making a mess, hurry up, your grandparents are coming over. Just people, problems all the time. But we think that family's always going to be that table time when everything's settled. That's not real life. Why do we think church is supposed to be like, oh, we just sit here peacefully all the time? There's going to be friction. There's going to be problems. There's going to be conflict. And there's moments of great unity in the family of God. And there's also moments of great division. And that is all healthy. 
we need to not come to be served, but to serve others, to be able to be engaged, to realize that there are issues. Things happen. You know, maybe we shouldn't be like some of our brothers from Philadelphia that are looking for a fight every few minutes that are into fellowship. No, but we should understand that we know each other and we're not getting rid of each other. Any more than you would look to your spouse or to your kids and say, oh, well, you know, this family would be a lot better if I got rid of this one and added another one. Now, I do jokingly say that to my oldest son, but hopefully he knows <laughs> that I am just kidding and that that is not true. That's the heart that Paul has, and that's the heart that Christ has for us. So what is good enough for you? What are you seeking out? In verse 19, Paul's going to continue now. He says, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. We do all things for your edification. Now, I did miss a disclaimer earlier. If you're here and you don't have any kids, that's what God calls for you. Don't come up to me and tell me how I can't use this illustration because you're the one person that didn't have any kids. Okay, stop it. Hold it. Also, if you're the one that had bad parents when you were growing up, your mom, your dad, the illustrations don't work, stow it, okay? There's always two or three that come up and want to lecture me after, telling you right now, you figured it out, you can get it, all right? All right, good. We're on the same page? Otherwise, you can go to Sack and you can complain to him. He's right here in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Complaint department. See, we do that very same thing. What is in it for me? What does this have to do with me, me, me? But this is the key verse of this entire section, for Christ. Paul is doing this for Christ. He is being bold for what? For others, not himself. He doesn't resent that they're talking bad about him. He's not upset that they are uh, not esteeming him. He doesn't care about that. In fact, he's telling them, keep your money. It's better for you that you don't give it to me. Nothing about that is about him being puffed up. It's for their good and for their benefit. When you discipline your kids, you hear those words coming out of your mouth, or at least you think it, this hurts me a lot more than it hurts you. And that's how we think of Paul. It's not about what's in it for him. When we come to the fellowship, we don't want to be that person that comes like a person that goes to the same restaurant every week gets the same meal at the same seat at the same place with the same waitress. And you go there for the consistency and the comfort. And you may be criticizing or judging the church hoppers because you're like, oh, yeah, that's them, but not me. But you're still just receiving. You're still just consistently receiving, and you're not pouring out for anyone. You're not giving others. You're not investing into their lives. For whatever reason it is, don't think that you're the disciplined or discipled one. It should never be about what's in it for you. It should be about others. And it's for Christ first. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Ultimately, we do want to serve Christ in serving you, but that's not how you should feel. That's not what you should be after. Imagine a church where everyone loved Jesus passionately. Imagine coming to a fellowship where people are not self-centered, they are Christ-centered. What would that be like? And isn't that the family that we want to be a part of? 
That's what we're after. What were the Corinthians like? Well, let's look at the list of things that Paul is thinking he's going to find there in verses 20 through 21. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. That's quite the list. See, they got some real problems in Corinth. I want you to compare this list of real issues with real people, which to me just sounds like a list of the average teenager, if you ask me. And let's compare it to another list that was given to the Corinthians. Another list that was given to the Corinthians. Now, this is about the Corinthians, and this one is written to the Corinthians in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give all my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Here's the actual list. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but the rejoices in truth, bears all things, believe all things, hopes all things, endures all things. How does that list stack up to what we saw in chapter 12? I fear lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I Come again, God will humble me among you. Well, those things can't be at the same time, can they? But that's what I'm trying to say. Yes, they can. And they do in every one of our homes. In one minute, we have all those things in the kitchen. And then the next minute, we're sitting happily down as a family, eating a meal together. See, we have real, real God for real problems. And we have to stop living in a fantasy where we think things should be like and deal with what they actually are. We are all broken and fallen. And we're not to give up on each other. And we're not to just go around and live in some fantasy land where we're not dealing with real problems or real people. But the Corinthians ultimately were lacking love. And Paul, as a loving father, was willing to have tough discipline to bring it back, to bring them to where they needed to be. And that's the thing about Paul. As a servant of Christ, he taught it, he lived it, he showed it, and then he passes it on. Notice he's sending Timothy. He's sending the other brother. He's having them imitate it, and he's showing everyone these things. Are you showing them? Are you teaching it? Are you living it? Are you passing it on? We need to be like Paul, who Paul says he was like Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said, and then he lived it with real people and real issues. And that's what we want to do here. When we have fellowship together, we want to have unity in the body of Christ, but we will also have contentions, jealousies, wrath, backbiting. 
but only the love of Christ, the working of the Holy Spirit with people that are desiring to seek after Jesus personally, have a personal relationship with Him, can overcome those things as we seek Him out. And He'll work in us, and He'll change us, and He'll correct us, and there'll be friction, and there'll be issues, and there'll be trials, just like there is in any loving home. The question is, are you going to church? Are you being the church? Are you the body of Christ? Are you the servant? Or are you wanting to be served? In all things, we want to glorify Christ, and He will do the rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you for encouraging us and teaching us how to be the body of Christ. We appreciate you just being so patient and loving with us when we're so disobedient and so rebellious. And we pray that you would continue to work in us and work in this body and work in this fellowship. And as long as we're gathered here together, Lord, that we would be passionately about you and growing in your word and growing in your love as we share it with others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.